0: A header on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders.
1: Third, a foot race the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively, Wayne Rooney, that net is empty, big collision by the captain, that is unbelievable effort. Rooney, putting one off, Costa. header, goal! Patrick Bacosta! Cole
0: picks it up, Cole's crossing! Doesn't get much better than this,
1: folks. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me. As always, is
2: Daryl DK's number one
0: fan, Logan Stone.
2: I'm the number one stan, they call me <laughs> that. I'm not stan, I'm Logan. How's everybody doing?
0: Well, they can't answer you, Logan, but we're, you know, everybody, Hello? our listeners are doing good. Yeah,
2: everybody good, <laughs>
0: yeah. This is not
2: live. I'll take this, I'll take this silence as um, everybody's doing well. Jordan, yeah, doing how you okay. doing?
0: I'm doing, yeah, that's the appropriate
2: question. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty good, thank yeah. you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're everybody you're <laughs> like the only person on here so. that's true i am everybody uh no i'm doing good uh we were just talking about it there daryl dk scoring so far two goals uh his game's still going on so we'll see if he gets the hat trick it's as we're recording and uh he's got what four goals in seven matches i think yeah. for barnsley so pretty good he made the roster we'll talk a little bit about the roster afterwards this episode's coming out on friday so you you know this is you know, two-day-old news at that point. But I also wanted to share, just a quick plug, I was on the Final Third podcast um, on Monday. We already talked about that. But I was also on it on Thursday with their deep dive, and they asked me, Jordan, how do we grow soccer in America? And I said, thank you. I have a three-to-four stage plan. And uh, I went on rambling on that for a bit, so I'm sure you can listen to that. They were like, We only want to take up an hour of your time. I gave them like an hour and a half of my time and uh, we didn't even get to all the points. Right. So there was a lot to talk about there, but they're great guys. Uh, They're looking for more guests. So if you are somebody that's in the soccer scene, hit them up at final third show on Twitter. And uh, it was a great time. Um, You know, they were, uh, it, it was interesting also to see how we all kind of started following Um, soccer you know like I'm the old man of that group they made me feel really old Um, you know and I have a wife that's like five years younger than me and and it made her feel old because they were still younger than her so like it was I really felt like a a really old man during that one you know so really old man I'm saying that in a freshman in high school I was watching the 06 World Cup and they're they're like saying they're in kindergarten made me feel so old (laughs) But uh, they're great, yeah. I mean, uh, so check them out. We're gonna try to have them on sometime this season, you know, just for some Minnesota talk. Uh, they're Minnesota United fans, so getting them on to just kind of chat how the season's going for them, uh, whether it's going good or bad. We'll we'll see, but uh, I think it might just be fun to have some perspective from a fans, you know. Like we had, uh, you know, we had Mark Fangmeyer on. Um, who who does the pod? Who does part of the podcast over there from Minnesota? But I think we, you know, we don't want to just always use the same guests all the time, too. So of course, we're going to try to get Mark back on at some point. But I want to kind of share the love here and get some different perspectives uh, for each of the teams as well.
2: It's always a lot of fun, I think. Getting. You know, it's funny that we always seems like everybody we talk to they've always been Midwest uh, people that were like fans. You know, the people that have covered the teams. Those are the nicest people. (laughs) (laughs) They really are the nicest people. We've had some really good success with um, some of these Midwestern guys just because they're just so gosh darn friendly. Um, But I think this one's kind of follows suit too. I think the Canadian teams and we're getting ready to welcome on Brady Reed. which, you know, we, we had Sam Rowan on, and, and that was a lot of fun. It just seems like we've been, every guest we've had, we've just hit the jackpot with uh, unbelievably nice people um, just willing to talk the game with us. I mean, people taking Saturdays and uh, weird nights um, or weird hours at nights, uh, to, you know, to just kind of yeah, talk through. Yeah, that 3 a.m. episode was yeah, pretty it was insane, good, wasn't it? Right? That I'm, was, uh... I'm really glad that... Um, yeah. I'm what not team
0: a... was that one for? It? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just kidding. Oh, no. man. No, we we've been respectable. One. We've been keeping we people at
0: respectable hours, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So you you kind of alluded who uh, we're welcoming in. You yeah. also mentioned they're Canadian, mm-hmm. but you didn't say the team. I name. didn't say No, I do know that the way I post these titles, people already know who they're listening to. All but right. go ahead and say what team are we previewing today, Lewis? Oh,
2: we are talking about Toronto FC, um, and it is. Uh, we're down to we're down to one left after this, of the Canadian teams, but yeah, we're talking Toronto FC. Brady Reed's going to join us, editor at Waking the Red. Uh, I accidentally put Walking the Red on my notes and was like, that's not right. Um, How I'm about the Walking Red? The Walking you Red. Yeah, like a Walking Dead. Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. but no, it's Waking the Red. That could be a red.
0: supporters group, the Walking yeah. Red. There you go. Yeah, I Somebody guess so. figure that out. Uh, I'll take royalties. I was going to say you. some
2: royalties coming your way, Jordan. Some <laughs> some nice merchandise created by Jordan Wiegand, or Wygand, however you want to call him. It's definitely um, Wiegand. That's so, how you want to
0: call him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're welcoming, welcoming on Brady, and I'm excited about this one because I think there's a lot to talk about with Toronto FC. They're kind of in a in a weird spot, I think, right now, just because they're transitioning from Greg Vanny. So and runners up of the
0: supporter shield. So yeah, of yeah, course so you got to go say that. And, uh, let's go ahead and, and and start welcoming them in. All righty. All right, and we're now welcoming in Brady Reed from Waking the Red. How are you today, Brady? I'm good, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for jumping on here. Uh, so, if you want to give our listeners some um, uh, just kind of background, you know, where they can find your work, uh, when you started covering Toronto, and all that good stuff.
1: Sure, yeah, um, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Brady Reed underscore, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, obviously with Waking the Red, and that's where you'll find most of my work. And I've been doing the, the Toronto Sea beat with them now for for about a year and a half. This will be my third season upcoming, so. Plenty of excitement for that. And uh, I've kind of been following the team since, you know, since they came around in 2007. Obviously, big moment for Canadian soccer getting involved in MLS and kind of haven't looked back since.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and, and that was always like uh, when they first entered a the league, they always had one of the best fan bases, you know, and then they had that stretch of not making the playoffs for such a long time. And then Greg Vanny kind of, you know, helped turn that around. They brought in stars like Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore, Giovinco. And, uh, you know, some of those players are now older, uh, talking about Josie and and Bradley, but uh, Giovinco has left and uh, Vanny just left. So kind of segueing right into that uh, as our first kind of like general question here is um, if you could tell us, you know, like how much Greg Vanny actually did for the club and what's the legacy he leaves as he takes off to L.A.?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, we could spend an hour talking about what, uh, what Craig has done for Toronto FC. I think, you know, there's, there's the Vanny area, Vanny, Vanny era, sorry. And that's kind of the, the winning era and the golden era of Toronto FC. I think the resume speaks for itself, you know, three MLS cup finals, multiple Canadian championships, a supporter shield, and also close to that CONCACAF champions league, that, that, uh, kind of award that everybody in the MLS has been chasing. And, and to this point has been unsuccessful, but you know like that that stuff speaks for itself i think we all know that stuff but you know from my experiences with greg the the human being i think that's that's important as well and a big part of his story and probably ultimately a little bit about what went into that decision to go to go back to la and take on that project with the galaxy i think you know the prospects of toronto spending a lot of this season away from his family and 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 living kind of temporarily in Florida probably wasn't something he, he preferred. I think at this point in his life, he's, he's a family man and that was one of his priorities. And then, you know, he, he kind of spoke a little bit in his, in his presser after the decision was made that, you know, he, he sees himself as a builder. He thinks he's already built something in Toronto FC, LA or building something exciting. So why not bring in a guy who has plenty of winning a pedig- pedigree, sorry, and, and a guy who's clearly passionate about the Galaxy, having spent a lot of his playing days there as well.
2: Yes, it kind of leads into, I mean, going into this season then, I mean, changing the page has got to be tough for Toronto because I think that they're so used to having somebody like Vanny at the helm. And I, I watched the, the presser that Armis had done coming in. Can you just kind of speak to some of the things that, um, you know, Armis coming in and Vanny transitioning out? You know, what, what do the players look for, uh, do you think? And is it some cause for concern that Vanny is leaving the team?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it's you know, without question, it's definitely a changing of the guard in Toronto, and I think it can go one of two ways. Honestly, the initial reaction when Chris Armis was hired, I can tell you amongst a lot of TFC supporters wasn't necessarily, you know, the most excited. I think right. that that might have partially been due to the fact, you know, he had names like Patrick Vieira being thrown out, and I, I personally didn't think that that was the greatest fit from a, from a logistics standpoint. I think... For better or worse, Armis has some some meaningful MLS managerial experience. And whether you want to kind of discredit his his role in that 2018 supporter shield with Red Bulls, you know, he, he played his part. And, and Jesse Marsh, who ends up moving on and is now coaching Red Bull Salzburg, has said you think Toronto's made a great decision in bringing in armas and, and he's also a guy who has a good relationship with Michael Bradley. I think that's super important. Michael Bradley's a guy that they probably need to have a bit of a bounce back year, injuries kind of made things tough for him in 2020 and so I think he's bringing something exciting in he's a guy who's familiar with the league and he seems to be trying to make a lot of changes in a short period of time which could potentially be challenging especially with the COVID situation TFC are currently dealing with but I think when you got a guy coming in who's advertising exciting soccer it's time will tell if it works out but as a supporter you've got to be at least excited for the prospect of what that might bring in my opinion
0: and kind of before we move on to the 2021 season, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this 2020 season that just happened with Toronto. Uh, so I'm a Philadelphia union supporter. So, you know, having them win the supporter shield was great. Uh, but Toronto was really up there challenging for that throughout the course of the season. And what was impressive is, is they were doing that, like you mentioned with Greg Vanny, you know, like away from home, playing in the U S away from their families, uh, can you talk a little bit about the resolve of this team and what worked well for them in 2020?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think it's it's a good point you make about them being away from home. I think just in general in sports last year, I think we like kind of had more of appreciation for the, for the human side of things and you know, and how, how all these factors can really play into it. And I think towards the end of the year, you could see how Toronto calling Hartford home temporarily started to wear on them a little bit. And I'm not going to make excuses for them. I just think, at the end of the day, they went into the playoffs, and and Nashville was the better team. I think they deserved to go through, and anybody who watched that match would have a hard time disputing that. But yeah, anytime you you know you finish runners up to the Supporters Shield and and second in the league standings, there's some success there for sure. I think the the MVP season for Pozuelo is kind of a an interesting one because on one hand, of course, you know having a player recognized as the league's best is huge positive, but I think at times they might have relied on him a little too much and if you look at their, you know, their, their department and their scoring, I know that they weren't the most prolific and beyond him and Akinola, the next highest goal scorer was at four goals. And that was Richie Larea, a guy who a lot of his minutes are coming at fullback. And so not necessarily, you know, uh, a great stat when you're, when you're whole or you're attacking midfielders really, really had to pull the strings and, and stole a lot of games for Toronto FC. And so yes, they'll be happy with the way Pazuello played. They'll probably expect much to the same in 2021, but you're, they're going to need more of a supporting cast, particularly going forward for me.
0: Um, so, you know, the season was supposed to start for Toronto very soon here with the Canadian championship, which was yeah. postponed. And uh, for a multitude of reasons, it seems like part of it was maybe Toronto's COVID outbreak, but a bigger part is maybe for Jeff C not being able to practice as a team. Yeah. Um for such a long time that they would not. And I'm assuming the reason why they granted the spot to Toronto, uh, did they say if that was because they were the highest MLS team, uh, Canada MLS team, or was it just because they had made the final? Do you know on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a difficult situation, obviously, you know, when in the COVID era, like sometimes it's not always the simple solution and it's just the logistical solution. And I think in this case, Forge just, they just didn't have approval from the Ontario government to, to resume the training. So you've got a team that hasn't taken to the field since the CPL did the Island games in the fall. And it just, the the real, the expectations for them to take on a Mexican team at in the first week of April, it just, it wasn't there. And so fortunately they're going to actually play the game in, in the summer. It might not, it won't be for the right to go to the, to the champions league, but you know, for the Canadian Premier League, that's, just heading into its third season of existence yeah. this is nonetheless a, it's a huge game right for hopefully a, a scenario where we can get supporters in the stands and so that I think based on the fact that these two teams qualified for the final and and Toronto are the only one of the two teams that realistically can make this mm-hmm. happen for the sake of the Champions League moving on a schedule that was the, the only real situation that they could go with at the end of the day
0: yeah because you know Montreal's. Uh... <laughs> was it their gm or owner was recently throwing out a uh some shade there about how it's the champions league not the finalist league or whatever he he was yeah. saying yesterday or today um but do you know how like uh d- d- was uh like the fans in toronto everybody seems to be for that right like forge i'm assuming forge is accommodating because of that fact that they are not able to practice
1: yeah i don't honestly don't think there was a lot of a rebuttal for this in the end i think at the end of the day that the Forge and CPL in general are obviously disappointed that this is the way it's played out. But I think to to be able to still play the game, like I said, I think at the end of the day, they will take that as a, as a moral victory and it's still something that they'll certainly have marked on the calendar. But right. yeah, if, this, if this game happens, like if this game happens with, with Forge having not trained, like some of these guys work other jobs and stuff, right? Like, it's, right, right. It's, it's, it's apples and oranges. Unfortunately for the time being, I think that'll change for the CPL, but, yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think too many people, even even Forge fans themselves, were too upset with, uh, with the decision made here.
2: So, I mean, you talked about fans and, and and just kind of getting fans back into state. I mean, in the United States here, we're just about the bust open to the seams. I mean, people – I mean, if you haven't heard, in Texas there there's a baseball team that's allowing 100% of their fans in the Rangers. Uh, I'm assuming that the the sports – Dallas is going to have a hard time getting 30%. But, um, you know, I think it's it, – in the United States, it's obviously like California's always been our strict one and it's, you know, yeah. nothing compared to what the, the Canadian government's done with restrictions and things. So I'm going to ask you, look into your magic eight ball. Do you see a realistic chance that Toronto FC has a home game in Canada sometime this
1: season? I mean, uh I, I did a little bit of uh, a piece on this actually just a couple days ago for waking the red and, And MLSE, which is kind of the governing body that owns TFC, the Raptors, uh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. They, you know, they, they kind of, they've made some strides with regards to getting fans back in stadiums. But like you say, I think, you know, comparing Canadian and American kind of standards right now, it's, it's two very different worlds, which is, you know, crazy to think. You wouldn't have thought that a year ago, but yeah, like that, that border I don't think is opening anytime soon with regards to that sort of thing. Um, it's it's something that's at least being discussed. For me, it would at the very earliest be in the fall, but even that I think is, is, is probably a stretch. I think it I think they might be able to return to Toronto to play their games, but with regards to fans in the stadium, it would be it would be at the at the most in a very limited capacity. But I, I quite honestly don't think that they'll they'll rush that too much.
2: Are they now are they locked in to play in Florida? Are they playing in Orlando or are they going to are you know, kind of switch around. Do you think uh, I know they played some games up north last year, but are they, they think about changing some venues sometime?
1: Yeah, so for the for the time being, the plan is to play at Exploria Stadium, which seems like. There's there's a game there every other week. I know the She Believes Cup happened there. Some of the
0: almost every day now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it really feels that way. I think if you if you live in that neighborhood, you could just walk up to the box office and, and catch a game on any given day, which is great. But yeah, I know for the time being, that's the plan. They're at least gonna start there. And I think that's with some optimism that, like I said, they can return to play in their own their own stadium, be it in front of supporters or not. But with regards to a timeline, I think it's it's just so hard to predict these things right now.
2: I was going to say, I'm in that neighborhood of Orlando. Um, I currently live about 30, 25, 30 minutes from stadium. And it's just, it, well, I was down there yesterday and it was actually quiet. I'm pretty sure that the people that live in and around that area are going, what's going on? There's not a game. And they kind of wander <laughs> over there and going, oh, this is weird. Um, but yeah, it's just become the U.S. hub for, for games and international games and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, and then I guess we'll, we'll transition some into the attacking side of the ball. And, and before we get really far into it, Um, I did watch Armist's press conference and he, he made, you know, he made light of the fact that he wants to play with a lot of energy. I know that they played a lot of pressing um, soccer and and, uh, Red Bulls. Um, How do you think that he comes in and implements his style? I mean, what kind of formations I know he's not um, been real uh, I guess, transparent on what kind of uh sure. formation he's playing but what do you think about the style that he's going to bring in there and how does it affect Toronto FC
1: yeah I think it's i think it's super interesting like this like you said a lot of a lot of tempo a lot of pressing it doesn't necessarily sound like an identity of a team that quite frankly is is aging pretty quickly they've kind of they've done a good job to keep the core of the of the 2017 trouble winning team but at the same time a lot of them have struggled with injuries and they're not getting any quicker and any younger and i think have success in a system like that yes it takes smarts and, and composure and stuff but at the end of the day you do you need some pace and some intensity to really execute that and so you know there's some guys who've kind of been in and out for toronto fc that i think could potentially thrive under chris armis and it you know, might not even be names that fans of other mls teams would be too familiar with like you know erickson gallardo is a the guy they brought in and quite frankly it really hasn't panned out for them but as is a guy that i've noticed has, has a ton of pace and seems to seems to excel in in you know counterattacks and that sort of thing. So maybe he gets a, a more extended look. Uh, Jacob Schaffelberg is another young Canadian player who has loads of pace, plays very direct. Sounds to me like a guy who could play on the flanks and and have success in that system. Uh, big question marks for me over what Josie Altador and what uh, Ao Akinola can do as a lone striker in a system like that. Akinola obviously much younger, but. Pretty similar player to, to Altidore in that he's more of a traditional holdup number nine. You really need runners going beyond that guy. And then for me, we didn't really see that in previous seasons. Maybe not since 2017, honestly. And so you know, there's been rumors of Michael Bradley moving further up the pitch and playing with Posvalo. Interesting. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm intrigued. I'd love to see it. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, I just think it's, it's a lot of change and not a lot of turnover in personnel. So... You know, those every training session is going to be huge. And right now they're they're on pause, which certainly isn't going to help. So the quicker they can get back to the field and, and, and try to sort that out, uh, I think is going to be pretty telling on how this how early games go for sure.
0: You mentioned Josie there as well uh, about how he fit into the system, but there was some rumors in the offseason when he was with the men's team, um, you know, that you uh, European teams were trying to come in for him he also left that camp with an injury again so how worried are you about Josie you know staying healthy for 2021 and and do you think that maybe his time with Toronto is coming to an end very soon here
1: yeah I can't I can't remember an offseason where there wasn't injuries and rumors for Josie Altador. quite honestly (laughs) no honestly like I think at the end of the day regardless of how things have, have gone be it out of his control or not I think Josie's a club legend, you know, injuries have been a big part of his story, but when he's able to play 20 or more games in an MLS season for TFC, he scored 10 or more, 10 or more goals every time. So, you know, the numbers are there when, when he's actually on the field and healthy and doing his thing. But I think, you know, I think he does have a role on this team because I, I I have a feeling Chris Armas is a guy who, you know, is going to rely on his veterans a little bit. I get that, that impression early, particularly with, with Michael Bradley. And like I said, the, relationship they have. But yeah, I think much like Greg Vandy, I think RMS is going to give Altador every chance to to succeed here. And I think that number nine position will probably be his to begin the season, but we can't ignore what Ayo Akinola did last year. It's not the biggest sample size, but when you've got a 20 year old kid putting up numbers like that, it was nine goals and 11 starts like altador is going to have a small leash for me. And I think it, it'll be, it'll be up to him to, to try and stay healthy and and see what you do. And if he can't, then you kind of have to take the emotion out of it and perhaps, perhaps move on.
2: Yeah. So you, you talked about Akinola. Um, Mm -hmm. Is it possible that they play two up top? I mean, is that something that you think they look into? Uh, Because it does seem like Akinola is just knocking on the door nine goals and 15 matches played last year. It seems like he's primed and ready and he's only 21. So I imagine they want to get him in there and get going.
1: Yeah. interesting thing about akinola for me is you know if if josie doesn't spend a lot of the year injured and and achara their their super draft pick from last year doesn't get injured in the home opener as well we might not even be having this conversation right like he really got an opportunity by a little bit of fortune obviously some hard work and training you know at the end of the day you've got to earn your minutes but you know he got an opportunity and he, he certainly sees it like you said nine goals uh he just turned 21 in january i think you know, four four two is is kind of a kind of a dying art in soccer these days, isn't it? But when you've got two players like that, and you don't necessarily have a team that 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 or a squad that suits a four three three, I I think it's something certainly worth exploring. The only the only issue you kind of run into there is what do you do with Alejandro Pozuelo? Like, can he play in a flat midfield four? I'm not I'm not so sure, and that would kind of push one of, or both of Osorio and Markie Delgado to wide positions. It's, it, it's, it's a tough one, which at the end of the day, if you have more than 11 guys that you think are worthy of being on the field, that's a good, it's a good headache to have. Right. And so, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I wonder if maybe even a wide AO Akinola is an option, if Altador's doing well through the middle and that's a, that's an area of weakness for TFC as well. So I think, yeah, like I said, good problem to have, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm glad to an extent that uh, it's not me who has to make those tough decisions. Uh, just kind of the last question here on on kind of that
0: attack. Uh, well, you know, like the striker type position here in the number nine. Uh, do you think that you know the front office said that they'd like to bring in a DP or attack? You know, like another attacking player uh, at a designated player spot. Uh, but it's been kind of quiet in those rumors uh, that we've noticed over here, anyway. Um, do you think that they, uh, can bring in somebody at that level, um, before the season starts, or is that going to be like a summer thing at this point, if that were to happen and, uh, you know, kind of help with that depth at the top spot there.
1: Yeah, I know. I know we touched on Pozuelo a little bit earlier. And like I said, he did have a fantastic season and, and led the team in scoring, but quite honestly, I'm not sure that they, they want that to be the case this year, I think he's more of a creative than a poacher and i think if he can if he can sit mm-hmm. into that role that and ha- have kind of those attacking options and tools around him, that's that's what best suits his game and so i think they would like to they would like to explore options through the dp it's been super complicated i think in general the like kind of the transfer market around the world has right taken a big COVID slash and stuff yeah exactly yeah and so they they really seem to have had their eyes on one guy in in Boré, and there doesn't seem to be a ton of ton of wiggle room there with regards to finances and I'm not sure it's something they can pull off with the likes of Altidore Bradley and Co on the books right now and so there's been some rumblings today of a guy uh, a European based guy Usain Balic, from uh, from one of the leagues abroad one of the one of the lower leagues a guy who has a ton of pace and plays in a wide position certainly intriguing option for Toronto FC just from a positional standpoint and. I think a guy who you know could help, you know, had ten assists last year. I think if he had players with 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 pace and and willing runners out wide, that could have been fifteen or twenty. And so, if that's something that's a legitimate option, I think that they'll they'll explore it. But like you say, realistically, at this point, I think a summer DP probably makes more sense because really we're a month from from MLS kickoff for the regular season today. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, right. if I'm not wrong.
0: Yep.
2: Yeah. So talking about uh, Puzoila and. Gosh, we, I mean, Jordan, I've done, what have we done up to now, Jordan? Like 17 of these, 18 of these almost. Yeah, about um, that. something <laughs> like that. Uh, and it seems like everybody we talk to wants a creative 10. They need a 10 or looking for a 10. Um, you guys have one, uh, and he won the 2020 Landon Donovan MLS most valuable player last year. Can you just talk to what makes him so special? And, and like you said, uh, you talked about it earlier. You said that you think he can even take more of a step. Uh, well, and what would that step be?
1: Yeah, it's you know it's an interesting thing. I know you guys mentioned you you follow the world football as well in the European leagues and the number 10's a little bit of a dying art to some extent over there. But in MLS, you look at all the teams that have had plenty of success: Toronto with Pozuelo, Seattle with Nicholas Ladero, even Zeller IM with with Columbus Crew last year. It's it's certainly not a dying art here, and that that creative kind of attacking midfielder role they've been thriving in MLS of late. And obviously that describes Pozuelo to a T. He's a guy who likes to you know kind of pick up positions in between defensive and midfield lines he's a great passer of the ball very two-footed killer dead ball situation player free kicks penalties that sort of thing but like i said i think <coughs> sorry to an extent um trnlov sees kind of supporting cast maybe maybe limited what he was able to do a little bit i think he can score he is that guy but he he loves to create and so if if the players around him are are not really necessarily prolific, or they're not on the same wavelength. It's, you know, you're not getting the production out of them. And and, and they paid for a guy who was going to make his teammates better. I think he is that guy, but he needs teammates who, like I said, are up to up to his quality and, and have kind of the same kind of killer mindset that, that he possesses.
0: So moving on to Michael Bradley here. Uh, so I did just want to ask a Michael Bradley question because he's kind of a controversial figure when it comes to American soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially after the failure of the not qualifying for the 2018 world cup, a lot of fans put it on, you know, him and out the door and other players that are yeah. older players. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm a big Michael Bradley fan. I remember watching him in the you know 2010 world cup when he was still very young at like 22 years old but he's getting up there now. He's 33. Um, one, I, my first question is, do you p- believe he uh, should get the shtick he does from American fans? And two, what is he meant for this club as well? You mentioned Josie being a legend. Uh, I feel like Bradley has got to be up there as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think that they're, they're definitely two of the to the faces you'd probably argue are on the Mount Rushmore of, of TFC, probably, you know, up there with Giovinco and and probably Greg Vanney to be honest from a coaching standpoint. But yeah, I can't really speak too much to Bradley and, and his experiences with the U S men's national team. I'll, I'll leave that up to you guys to kind of decide uh, who the guilty party is, but you know, <laughs> here in, here in Toronto, obviously heading into his eighth season and seventh as the captain, like, until his injury problems last year, like he, he seemed like, you know, almost like a larger than life character. He was invincible. He was a stalwart. He's always, you know, starting, he's playing 90 minutes and you know, what you're getting from him. And I think, you know, with a little bit of rest, you might see a little bit, you might see that Michael Bradley again in 2021. Um, you know, like I said, they're flirting with the idea of moving him further up the pitch. That's an idea that Chris Armas thinks maybe might help, pozuelo have a little bit more success and and free him up a little bit uh but yeah i I don't think i don't think he's done i think honestly before he even touches a ball he makes this team better he's like he's like the coach with a with a bird's eye view in the middle of the park and so i think yeah like i said with a with a bit of rest and uh and excitement in a a new system and then some fresh faces i think we'll see a, a rejuvenated michael bradley in 2021
0: with Bob's, uh, you know, with Bob's success as a manager, do you think you could see Michael becoming one, and you know, maybe eventually taking over for Chris Armas?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's inevitable that he'll be the TFC manager, but I think it's inevitable that he'll be involved in coaching or or soccer beyond when his playing days. He just he, even his presence in the media, he just he he has it down to a T for me. I I feel like he could talk about just about anything and have me engaged. I don't know if that's just me, but he just he has that presence about him. I think it would be a supernatural transition to be honest.
2: I was going to say watching him and watching Chris Armis talk, everything that basically he was running through, he ran through Michael. It was like, Oh yeah, Michael said this. And Michael said that. And Michael said that when they, you can tell it was even ownership. um, What was talking about the fact that everything really just kind of filters through Michael because he's just been such a cornerstone there.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: So kind of transitioning back into that defense, um, Looking at it from an outsider's perspective, they gave up 26 goals. I think it's 10th best in the MLS. Um, So top 10 defense. Is there some things that they took out of it that maybe didn't work well or did work well? I know the two center back spots seem to be locked in, but what kind of in 2020, what was the story of the defense?
1: Yeah, they certainly they weren't very leaky. Uh, I don't think that combination of, of Gonzalez and Mavinga is necessarily the quickest at this stage of their careers, but there's plenty of understanding between the two, both great in the air. And I think between the two of them and Westberg, they really just, they had a lot of familiarity and, and spatial awareness, that sort of thing. They, they didn't give up a lot of cheap goals, honestly, as the season went on, I thought there was a little less of a cohesion there, but yeah, they, they certainly, they had a good balance with, with that. And then in the fullbacks, like we mentioned Richie Larea a little bit, he was fantastic last year going forward, particularly. And, and Oro jr. Is just, he's so reliable, nothing, nothing super flashy about his game, but you kind of know what you're going to get. And so I think they had a pretty good balance. Uh, There's been a little bit of turnover with regards to personnel. I'm sure we'll get into that, but uh, no, I, I, I think that was, that was probably one of their strengths, to be honest with you. And, and you know their their lack of goal scoring. You know they were. I think they were only at a plus seven goal differential. Considering they finished second in the league, it's it's a little surprising. And so that's probably something they'll be more eager to kind of address here in twenty twenty
0: one. Speaking about like the fullback positions, um, would you be able to speak to the options at those two spots and who you think would get probably the most critical minutes at both right back and left back?
1: Yeah, I think I think like I said, Larea and Oro are probably their they're two guys right now. And the great thing about the two of them is they can, they're kind of interchangeable. They can play either side. I personally like lorea from the right. I think he plays super direct and he can add some to the attack and Oro, It doesn't really matter what side he's on at, at times. It's almost a black, a back three with him tucking in and, and lorea kind of bombing on. But, you know, I think TFC did a good, uh, did a, kind of a justice to Justin Morrow to, to keep him on and sign him on for another year. Another guy who, you know, has been, kind of a part of their identity and a huge part of that 2017 trouble winning side. Yeah. I'm not sure I would put him in the starting 11 in Penn. I think he's kind of that, probably that next guy off the bench in that position. And then beyond that, they've got some kids that, like I said about the, the changing of kind of formation and tactics under Armas, some guys who are kind of converted wingers, who have got plenty of pace and energy and Griffin Dorsey and, and Matt DeRosa, a couple of recent MLS super draft picks. And so, you know, if, if this is a system that's going to rely on just just overloading uh, other teams in in their attack with strength and numbers, I think those are guys that could be a dark horse to to kind of thrive under Armist. But for the time being, I think it's kind of Larea Oro and Moro, and then you've got a couple of couple of young kids who, in more congested weeks, might get you know an opportunity to to get a start or a couple of minutes off the bench here or there.
2: So the, I mean, you guys have Alex Bono and from what I'd read, like he, he's got the abilities to be a number one, but it does seem like Quentin Westbrook uh, pretty much locked in that spot last year. Um, Is there a battle going in? Is it something that, you know, Bono can take over Has Westbrook been that solid?
1: Yeah, no, the interesting thing about Alex Bono is, you know, he's still only 26 years old. It's, it's almost hard to believe that, you know, he's played over 80 games. (laughs) <laughs> in net for Toronto FC and obviously was in goal for that 2017 winning side. And yeah, he only got three games last year, but he didn't lose a game and he actually didn't concede a goal either. So I don't know how, I don't know how you don't look at that and think maybe this guy needs a little bit more of an opportunity. I think maybe the one knack against Alex Bono is he's not necessarily as good with his feet as a uh, Quentin Esberg is. And for the way that Toronto FC played under Greg Vanny, I think maybe Westberg might've suited that system a little bit better, mm-hmm. but, lots of, lots of games left for Bono in his career, in my opinion, and Toronto obviously have taken the time to, to re-sign him. So clearly they see a future for him. I think for the time being, it's probably Westberg's job to lose really good keeper with his feet, great shot stopper and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So it'll be interesting. I think, you know, in times where there's multiple games in a week or, you know, if they're going to make deep runs in multiple competitions, I think we'll see a lot of Alex Bono and he's a guy who deserves a shot from him. he's a, Seems like a real players player. The guys seem to to be happy for him when he gets that opportunity and, and plays well. And so I think I don't think it'll be Westberg every day.
2: So I got a couple of questions about um, I guess one, uh there like you said, there was just not a lot of turnover. Is that, you know, Varmus waiting to pick his spots to see, you know, where guys kind of fit, or is that more t- due to the fact that they can't really get out and see people play and, and kind of scout the because I mean a lot of these teams are going down to South America but I'm assuming that it's really tough for Canadian teams just like when we did Vancouver for these teams yeah. to scout
1: yeah and honestly yeah I think Vancouver considering the the market have done a really good job of of adding to that roster and it was probably a roster that needed a little bit more addition than Toronto's if I'm honest but no, the interesting thing is with Armas coming in, he doesn't have the same title that Greg Vanny did. Greg was the the club's technical director as well. And so to a degree, they've kind of given more of a directional, I guess, uh, influence to Ali Curtis and, and the front office and not necessarily Chris Armas. And so perhaps that explains a little bit about, uh, the retaining of so many <coughs> veteran guys and familiar faces, but. Yeah, I think, uh, like we, we mentioned, it is interesting that you're going to try to change a lot of things with basically the same personnel. But when you're trying to change things for the positive, we're not talking about Mourinho coming in and, and parking the bus for nine months. I think <laughs> it's a good problem to have that you're going to try to play some attractive soccer. And so it's, uh, they've, they've got the personnel when they're all healthy and fit. But when you're talking about a lot of players on the wrong side of 30, there's, there's definitely question marks, but also plenty of room for excitement as well. So the
2: Eli uh, Curtis just signed an extension yesterday um, yeah. and uh, Bill Manning said that he's just the stability that he's able to bring to the club and just the direction that he tends to take the club. And I know, I think it was in their press conference when somebody asked about the technical technical director and they're like, we're not talking about that spot. Like it, it's, you know, we've got it covered um, th- is the front office. I mean, real supportive uh, of management. I know it, it was a little different with Vanny because he'd been there so long, but do you think that, they give arm or you know Armis a little bit of a, a tighter leash
1: yeah honestly i think this like i said when when Armus was first hired by by some supporters it wasn't necessarily the move that they had hoped for but i don't know i i'm, I'm convinced by by the kind of the backing of valley of curtis and and the rest of the staff when it comes to chris Armis. i think you know i think if you look at the kind of what happened in with rebels in and time at the helm there they lost a lot of key players you know Tyler Adams moving to Europe uh they didn't spend a ton of money that's not a big problem in Toronto or at least it hasn't been in previous years I think they they look at what he was able to do in 2018 with a with a side that had some genuine quality and ambition and they think they have a project that can match the the ambition and the financial backing and so if Armis can come in and is is given a fair shake I, I think they see a guy who will actually make them better and we'll kind of take them in a different direction because Greg Vandy's gone and you know, for better or worse, they do, they do have to move on and kind of refine their feet. And I, I, I think they do believe Chris Armis is that guy. I think only honestly, only time will tell if that's true. It's like I said, it's a huge, huge year for Toronto FC with regards to what direction they're going to go in. And you know, they, this could either be one last kick at the can for some of these guys, or it could be, you know, a scenario where they kind of have to blow things up next year. And so, I'm certainly looking forward from a from kind of a journalistic standpoint to, to trying to jump on the journey and see what happens here.
0: All right, so our final question, as I kind of gave you the heads up there beforehand. Um, Toronto finished second in the Supporter Shield standings, though like I mentioned before, they were away from home a lot of that time. They also had the situation where they were playing the same teams over and over again. So I'm not sure how much stock you put in 2020, but what would be a successful season – for toronto fc 2021 under new manager and uh you know what do fans have to to kind of uh put their hopes on this year
1: yeah i think you make a great point it's really difficult to to take and draw too many conclusions from last year just based on the circumstances and you know playing weaker opponents pretty regularly if we're honest but i think you know with this front office at the helm and, and with some of these veteran players still around honestly i think in their minds, not necessarily if you're asking me, but if you're asking them, I think anything but, you know, a playoff spot, probably home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs and, you know, in a genuine run at MLS cup, I think they would probably deem that a disappointment. And, you know, we mentioned them getting that CONCACAF Champions League spot kind of by default, but they're not going to care. They're going to, they're going to look at that competition as another opportunity to, to win a trophy. And, you know, if you ask Greg Vanny, that's his one biggest regret is not being able to win that trophy with Toronto, but A lot of these guys who are still here are going to get another shot at that. I think they're really going to be gunning for that. But no, I think honestly, every trophy they're eligible to win they're in their minds, they're going to think that they're, they're one of the favorites, if not the favorite, but I don't know that that's realistic. But as I mentioned, uh, I'm just going to be, you know, happy to see as many games as possible when I, I know some people are, are really doom and gloom about, you know, their prospects for this season. I'm not quite to that extreme, but. I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this pans out and couldn't it be a pretty, pretty divining year for the club. All right. Well, if
0: you just want to plug your, uh, plug your socials one more time here where people can find that work.
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, always active on Twitter, be it Toronto FC or anything Canadian soccer at pretty read underscore. And if you want to check out waking the com, myself and, The rest of the guys there are always doing some some Toronto FC and Canadian soccer-related stuff. We'd like to hope that it's quality and entertaining, so you can keep us honest and uh, go check it out. We appreciate it.
0: And that was Brady Reed, editor at Waking the Red. So we will – he covers Toronto FC there, and we just want to thank him once again for jumping on. And, Logan, I'm going to pitch it to you like I always do here. What was your takeaway from this and kind of what you're feeling on Toronto
2: under new management? Um, he, he spoke in a more positive light of Chris uh, Armas than many people have. So it was nice to see a positive perspective and spin on that, just because Armas had such a difficult time with Red Bulls. Um, and, and he did. He said that, you know, missing a couple important players. But, you know, I don't think that's the complete tale um, as to why Armas struggled a little bit more. Um you know, I think that one, one big takeaway as far as the team's concerned, I, I do feel like there are uh, some aging players on, on their way out, um, But whether it be Michael Bradley eventually and, and Josie Alvador, guys that have been staples at, at Toronto FC for so long um, and, and kind of seeing their careers dwindling down. Um, It's sad, obviously, for Toronto FC fans. Sad for United States fans because we we'd watch them play. And depending on your feelings about Michael Bradley and Josie out the door, two of them have some baggage that they carry with some of their injuries and um, just not good form and play. Um, But again, I think it. You know, when you look at it, Toronto is in a really tough spot. I think. I think they're a team that finishes second last year. in a weird year, and a bizarre year. So it's kind of hard to take away a lot of positives. I think he was right there. He had like a seven goal, uh positive goal differential, um, which is really odd for a team that sat second in the Eastern conference. I think a lot of the teams in the East are getting better. Uh, I think new England's better. I think Orlando's better. I think Philly, the, the jury's still out on them. Um, so you got some teams up at the top that are decent teams. Columbus is, is going to destroy the, the East, I think this year. So um, Toronto's in, in definitely a spot where I think it's just not a good fit for Armis. I think it's the style of play that he, that's what concerned me big time. And you can probably speak to this some too, because you, you watched it more, obviously. Um, doesn't it concern you that, that the system that Armis loved to play at Red Bulls and Red Bulls love to play? I mean, They cannot take that press, that high press over here to Toronto with the age on some of these players.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing that interests me too is, right, you have some some people that – L.A. fans, right, that might say Vanny had a really good squad. And you're going to have some Toronto fans that say Vanny did a lot for this team. You're going to have some Red Bull fans that say Armis is awful, right? But you're also going to have some of them say, but actually he did okay, right? He lost some players, whatever. So this season for me is going to be really interesting for Toronto because it's going dis- to it's gonna show a lot, right? If Toronto struggle, I don't think it means ultimately that Armis is terrible, but I think it does show that Vanny didn't just have a great squad. he He was part of that. Um, and I think, uh, that's what I'm kind of looking for here and also see how he's doing at LA when we look at, so like seeing like this weird triangle of how Red Bulls are doing without Armis, how Toronto's doing with Armis and how LA's doing with Vanny is going to be a very interesting triangle as we go throughout the season that I want to try to keep track of here. It is because so uh, yeah. I expect Toronto go to go down a bit. And I think they actually would have been down a bit if we had a bigger schedule last year. You know, like you said, seven goal differential. Um, if he's going to play a lot more pressing under Armas, or if they're going to get. Try, try to get forward more. I know that they need goals, but I think that might expose the back a bit. And he was just talking about how maybe Alex Bono wasn't playing because he's not as good with the ball at his feet. So if he doesn't play under Armis and Armis is continuing the playing out the back situation, but he's going to press up more, or they're going to go up more. I think that's going to leave the back exposed more. And I'd be worried about that. Uh, Omar Gonzalez has a habit of getting caught out uh, not just for Toronto and and such, but for the U S men's national team, he he's had some really bad games. Um, So I'd be worried about kind of pushing up and leaving it to, to, you know, uh, Gonzalez in the back. So Overall, it's going to be interesting for me. I do think that they'll go down some. They probably would have gone down some with Vanny as well, just because you're know, you going to have this problem where Altidore is going to be injured again probably at some point. You can't always rely on Akinola with how young he is. So you do need somebody else up there that's going to score goals if they don't get it until summer or if they don't get it at all. That's going to really change the format here. They were playing up in the – upper east northeast last year where weather was probably a little easier to deal with they're going to be playing in florida where it's hot in <laughs> uh, they're not used to that in toronto at least when they were playing at red bulls stadium they were uh, i think that's where they were uh that you know they're still up in the northeast it's kind of close to their climate they're going to be down in florida for the whole year so far unless if things change And uh, with the way Canada is with the border, I don't think it's going to change unless if the vaccine, I don't know what Canada's vaccine rollout is like. So I can't really talk to that, but that's very different. Playing in Orlando, you know, as somebody that's in the Northeast and somebody that lives in Orlando, that's that's a big change. And Canada is even colder than Maryland, right? So Mm -hmm. it's going to be something to get used to for sure for them. And it might wear them down more. And it might, when they're playing Florida teams, there's no home field advantage. The Florida team is going to have the home field advantage. Logan, when you're, when Orlando is playing Toronto in Orlando Stadium, Orlando has the advantage, not just because they already know the stadium, but they're going to be used to the weather. It's somewhere they've played the whole time. If in those cases of where Toronto was up in the Northeast again, Toronto would have some sort of advantage because Orlando would have to adjust to the colder climate up here when it gets to uh, early season or late season. If we're talking summer, it's not going to be that big of a difference, but that's what these are kind of the things I worry about Toronto and ultimately I don't see them finishing second in the east so they'll probably finish first now that I said that, but (laughs) anything else here on this team.
2: Yeah, just a couple of thoughts off of what you said. Um, One, playing away from family. We always forget that aspect. That's such a rough go for a second year around. I mean, I can't imagine some of these guys, and I know some of them are going to have families that they'll just end up renting down here. But still, I mean, with protocols, I don't know what the protocols are in MLS, but you usually can't go see family because of quarantine and and, restrictions. Um, So that was one concern that I had. Another thing too, that I would pitch for you before we head on to the, uh, the U S rosters. Um, this is, this is Greg Vanny's team. They didn't make any changes, like not anything significant, right? Nothing in the starting 11 is Chris Armus um, coming over from Red Bulls. He's got to kind of adapt. And I know he's got some good veteran players that will make it a little easier. Michael Bradley has got to be easy to coach and, and Josie at times. Um, Pulls away a little, but I think that that in and of itself, he's got a weird like they're transitioning from the old to the new and there's going to be kind of that weird aspect and they're used to the Vanny system that's been there forever. I just I worry that, that one, they got into this because, again, they, they really did seem, I wouldn't say rush it, but they seem to not really think of Armas as their top guy. And then yeah. they just went with him. I feel like this is not going to be a good year or two for, I mean, you know, good, not like Cincinnati bad, but like um, definitely not the quality of football that Toronto's used to. And I think that's worrisome. And And that's what I want to ask you. Do you think that that Chris Armis is their coach by next year? No. There's got to
0: be a better coach that comes along. Yeah, I mean, they were even interviewing Ben Olsen from DC right. United, and right. I was perplexed as to why they would even entertain that mm-hmm. when he had like two winning seasons in DC. I mean, I don't know what they were doing, honestly. When you're pulling out names like Chris Armas and and Ben Olsen, you're not doing a worldwide search. No. And that's what's worrying is I understand they want somebody familiar with MLS and they think maybe they can just take this squad and make something happen with it. But I think if it fails this year, they might have to take a long, hard look and say, okay, we want to get another builder like Vanny was, and we want to move on Bradley. We want to move on Josie. And at that point we want, it's time for the next stage, right? They have some young players that are maybe going to grow into this, but it's time to get some, other talent that's not 33 years old or injury prone that I think that they will need to do.
2: And not to mention that all these guys that, you know, I think Bradley and Josie are going to be on Burr alter's call list. Like they're going to, Hey, you want to come up and play a couple of games here and there with the U S team. So depending on, you know who can come over and who can't come over and mm-hmm. so i think that that's another thing you're adding games to guys that just can't do that that many games anymore and all that travel that they're gonna have to do and travel routes that they're not used to but i, I guess we've harped a little too long on toronto we can get into Burhalter's squad
0: yeah you mentioned Burhalter. let's take a look at go. the the squad here um Let's take a look here at goalkeepers, Ethan Horvath, Chaturu Odunze, and Zach Steffen. Defenders, John Brooks, Reggie Cannon, Sergino Dest, Aaron Long, Matt Miazga, Eric Palmer Brown, Tim Ream, Brian Reynolds, Chris Richards, and Anthony Robinson. No surprises there, really, I would say. Midfielders, Brendan Aronson, yeah, Kellen yeah. Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca Della Torre, Sebastian Leggett, Yunus Musa, Musa, Owen Adesui. And then forwards, the man, the myth, <laughs> the legend, Daryl BK, <laughs> uh, Nicholas Giacchini, uh, Christian Pulisic, who's just coming off an assist with uh, in the Champions League, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, Timothy Weah. Notable absences, you know, uh, McKenney, right? Yeah. Um, apparently he's been playing with an injury over at uh, um, over at Juve. So they said he needs rest. So I'm assuming that they either the U.S. decided not to or Juventus didn't rele- uh, release them. We're not really sure. Um, uh, let's see here with um some of these players uh it doesn't have it listed here but like for some of of the strikers uh like hoppy Mm -hmm. and uh um sabiachu or what was it sabi i i don't have it right here something
2: like that i thought you were talking about the players leaving for
0: well, I was going to say those two could not join because they would just be missing the second game as well. Mm-hmm. So he wants to limit the number of players that are going to have to leave halfway through. Cause it is seven players that have to leave after the first match, including everybody in the Bundesliga. Yep. Uh, so Reyna is going to have to move on after the first game.
2: Tim Weah, Sargent, uh, looks like Tyler Adams, um reggie cannon john brooks so those guys are all going to be shipped out uh after the match against jamaica before they play northern ireland yeah so that's what we have we have uh, on the
0: 25th we have a match against um jamaica that's at 1 p.m i think
2: Mm -hmm. yep
0: and then on the 28th we have um Uh, We have the game against Northern Ireland. That's on a Sunday. I forget what time that is.
2: I think it's one, two as well. I don't know if that's correct, but I feel like that was...
0: So what's what's your thought on the roster here? And uh, are you excited for these matches?
2: Okay, so just a couple of roster notes that I'm reading. Um, Average age, 23 years and 27 days at the start of camp. Uh, 26 players average 11 caps. You got some veterans mixed in there. 16 players are the age 22 and younger. Um, Again, it's the youth. It's the youth and the youth that's coming from Europe. I mean, this is a team that – could you imagine if this would have happened at least, you know, three, four years ago or so? And these – I mean – They'd be playing with, like, random American people that had just moved over to Europe. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just insane. The amount of youth and talent on this. I'm really excited to see Brendan Aronson play. Um, and With Cap. the A team. Yes. Yeah, that, that's
0: that's what I'm thinking.
2: Absolutely pumped for that, and I'm absolutely pumped for Daryl DK on the run that he's been given. Um, can you imagine those two linking up for a nice little one-two combo? and
0: bang. little Philly Orlando Damn. magic, yeah. All right
2: so really make us happy but again it's guys that haven't really we haven't really seen make that move up in that first team yet like the brian reynolds of of um over there so i you know i think it's it's a lot of fun but brendan aronson that's number one on my list
0: yeah i'm really excited to see pulisic back with the national team i think it's been a year and a half time yeah um Excited to get him out of Chelsea for a little bit, get him <laughs> pumped up with the national team, and then he can go back, hopefully, all smiles and, and inform even more. Uh, Brendan Aronson playing with these guys is going to be fun. Um, look, I mean, as people have been trying to point out, you know, when, when people were freaking out about McKenny not being on the roster, we're never going to have a full squad. Mm-mm. Like our, our best players, our best 11 is never going to be on the same pitch as each other. Because you're going to have these issues with teams not releasing them. You're going to have the issues with COVID right now. You're going to have issues with players injured mm-hmm. uh, or out of form. So, at, you know, it is the manager's job to bring in the best squad at that time, whether they're in form or, you know, how, however he's choosing them. And hope that, uh, you know, the depth players step up. And that's why it's so important to have these other camps where we don't call in the big names to get those depth players, some starting minutes that they already know Greg's system when they come in and they can just kind of slot in and, and they get called into camp. So when people see like Sebastian legit, why are we calling him in? Well, he's one of Greg's guys, but also yeah. if anything were to happen, he's going to come in. I'm sure if Morris was not blowing out his knee, he'd probably be called in from, from Swansea um, instead of legit. But that's some of the issues right is uh it is what it is at this point so i'm looking forward to it um you know to to the day look here's the thing if people are waiting for a reaction to the usa costa rica match uh this is coming out on friday we recorded this on wednesday so we don't know the state of the u23 is right now we might be full of optimism right now and get slaughtered with that optimism <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out.
2: We're filled with pessimism.
0: We'll probably yeah. talk about that one on uh, the Monday show um, when we preview our next team. Which, Logan, do you want to go ahead and say who we're previewing next up?
2: Yeah, so we got Nashville SC coming up on, what well, we're recording Friday. So that'll be the episode that'll drop on Monday um yes. and we've got a slew of them like so we've got a really busy weekend Jordan and I do for <laughs> yeah. this podcast um We've got to hear dated
0: references throughout the <laughs> next week. It's because we're recording all of next week's shows
2: this weekend,
0: <laughs> Friday maybe and we Saturday.
2: Can, maybe what we can do, I guess we could talk maybe some like, uh, you know, what Brendan Aronson and them have been doing. Like, I, I, that's one guy. Yeah, well, we are going to have another outside
0: right. the box segment. I'm going to tell you the question once we op off oh, here. This is
2: exciting. I'm so excited. The guy just got it's, it's
0: timely with something uh, that was on Twitter. So we're going to go ahead and talk that.
2: Right. But and I'll again. Nashville uh, yeah. SC. Do you want me to tell who? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. we okay. have been so, posting it earlier now. I yeah, I was so. going to say we're going to post them earlier because it gives people, I think it helps people go, okay, I know who I'm asking and what they I'm get asking. get hyped. Yeah. Right. So I've got, we've got Drake Hills coming on. He's joining us. He's a Nashville SC reporter from the USA Today. And uh, Tennessee. Network. Yeah. Yep. And he, and he writes for the Tennessean, which is the USA Today's paper um, in Tennessee. Uh, and you can follow him at, at Live live At Live live life Drake. Sorry. I couldn't say that correctly. Um, it's a tongue twister. Uh, but yeah, Drake Hills will be joining us to talk some Nashville SC. I'm excited to talk their inaugural season and, and kind of what's being built there in Nashville. I think that's a pretty exciting team in the East, if they can just get some pieces in, um, that fit, but man, the East is stacking up just like the West Jordan. I'm kind of scared.
0: Yeah. It's, it's going to be pretty, pretty brutal. Um, With that outside the box segment, keep an eye on our socials for the question. Uh, So you can leave us feedback, poll results, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll probably be, um, you know, we'll probably post that uh, coming up here because we're going to have to record it probably on Saturday. So today's Friday that you're listening to this. Keep an eye out on the socials for that. And then that'll probably release on the Monday or Wednesday episode of the, of the next one. So, uh, anything else, Logan? Or are we good to? Uh,
2: this is the first time that the Americans have had three international players in the what are the quarter quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League. Really? Can, can you name them?
0: Well, it's Pulisic, mm-hmm. right? into the next round. Um, oh, man. Who else moved on team-wise? Hold on. Um, Munich doesn't have any. Um, who else moved on? There's Liverpool. One. There's
2: one
0: that's Porto. difficult. Well,
2: Stefan. Right? Yeah, that's the hardest one, I think.
0: Yeah, because he's not a starter. Um and uh, what? Uh, hold on, let me. I gotta look at a list of teams here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> it's to think. Hard when who's... you look at
2: the list of teams. Well, I gotta, yeah. I gotta think. I
0: gotta think. I don't want to like think of a team that didn't actually move on. Yeah. Um. So Liverpool, PSG, Porto, Dortmund. Oh, Reina. There
2: we yeah. go. <laughs> See, that's a hard one, too, because you look at how bad were Rushy Dorton's been. This
0: yeah, year. and I'm like, did they move on yeah. or not? I almost said Tyler Stephen, Adams, I was like, did Tyler Adams move on?
2: Isn't that weird? Because like you would think like Sergino Dest or somebody like that. Because um, I was looking at the list, and I was like, yeah. that is kind of weird. Like, Stefan, you never really would have thought about. And then Gio The bad Reina. thing
0: is, these three players barely play right
2: now. Right? So it's, <laughs> it's not even true. that exciting, to that's be honest. True. Oh, man. Geo can come to Man City with (laughs) Halan. But we close out the show before we take six hours.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, or email us at, you guessed it, StatesideShow at gmail.com. And no, that's actually just StatesideShow at gmail.com. Do not put you guessed it, (laughs) Stateside Show at gmail.com, please. Um you know, the link tree has the link to all of that stuff. We're going to put the YouTube link on there soon when we actually start making YouTube content. But I think you can just find us on YouTube right now by going to youtube.com and searching Stateside Soccer Show and finding our little logo and a video with the logo reveal. So thank you everybody for listening. We'll catch you all next time. When we break down Nashville SC. Tomorrow throwing his body in.
1: It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on.
0: Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show. As we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL, this is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.